Well, this morning, it's my joy to introduce as uh, the preacher today, my, my good friend, Corey Jewell. Corey uh, has been on our leadership team for two years, and this year, he'll be the chair of our leadership team. And a lot of times, you know, I think it's very important that we have uh, multiple voices from the congregation that preach. And a lot of times, when I kind of tap folks on the shoulder, they, they physically recoil, you know. Uh, so, But this isn't the first time Corey's done this. In fact... Several months ago, we were having a good conversation at lunch and both kind of thought some of the things he'd been kicking around, we were like, hey, I think we got, I think we got a sermon here. So he's actually back for more. Corey is a family man. Uh, he has a, just a huge um, breadth of interests. Uh, I can talk to Corey about everything from minutia of Chiefs football to Reformation theology. He's, he's, uh, he's well-read, he's a historian, and uh, he loves our church, and uh, he's one of my great friends. And so one of the things I love uh, at, at our church is a tradition we have where uh, when normal folks get up to preach, uh, we affirm them not at the end because we liked what they had to say, but at the beginning just because they had the guts to do it. So won't you get up on your feet, come on, and give it up for my man. Corey Jewel! Good morning. Welcome to 2023. As, uh, thank you, Adam, for that wonderful introduction. As Adam said, my name is Corey. It's my privilege to be here with you in worship this morning. And I've had an experience recently. And I'm wondering if any of you have ever had... A similar experience. Maybe you had this experience on your way to church this morning. Have you ever been driving somewhere to an appointment? Have you ever been trying to get somewhere on time and you find yourself stuck behind somebody who's driving slower than the speed limit? <laughs> yeah, maybe you're on a two-lane road. There's hills and there's curves and you just, you can't get around them. You're just stuck. Or maybe you're on the highway. Again, you're on, the, on your way to that appointment. You're kind of zooming past everybody in the left lane and then you happen upon somebody who's driving in the left lane, but they're only going the speed limit. I hate that too, right? It feels like the left lane ought to be reserved for those of us who wish to break the law. <laughs> now, maybe you've had the absolute opposite uh, experience where you're driving along leisurely on the highway and somebody, like, flies past you. Has that ever happened to you? And your car, like, shakes. That's really unnerving too. I don't like that either. So all of this, I think, begs the question... What in the world is the matter with some people? There's an old saying, maybe you've heard it. Anybody who drives slower than you is an idiot. Anybody who drives faster than you is a lunatic. Now, I think there's a, a little bit of truth in that, right? At least in our own perceptions. But unfortunately, those perceptions of idiots and of lunatics, they're not restricted to nameless, faceless passersby on the highway. They make their way into our own lives, into our daily interactions with people that we know, people that we care about. You know, more and more, it seems like we're encouraged to view those who disagree with us as our enemies. People with, with bad motivations or ill intentions, not as our neighbors. This phenomenon is exacerbated as each controversy we see on cable news or read about on social media unveils itself. Think about the language that we hear and the language that we sometimes use. Anti-choice, anti-rights, 
anti-gun, anti-vax. Somebody could be accused of being a climate denier or a science denier. Surely, somebody who thinks that way can't be my neighbor. Jesus gave us a great command to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves. He told us to love our enemies and to pray for those who might persecute us. Benjamin Franklin said it this way. He said, love your enemies, for they tell you your faults. Martin Luther King Jr. said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Now, even though Benjamin Franklin didn't have the benefit of, of hearing about the latest controversy on Fox News or on CNN, and even though the Reverend King didn't have Facebook or Twitter to let him know who agreed with him, and who was crazy, even Jesus never had to endure the hardship of living in the state of Missouri while being forced to live amongst fans of the university from the state of Kansas. <laughs> Rock Chalk 2022 national champions. But they all had the same message, love your enemies. Friends, we live in a cultural environment that tells us that people who disagree with us are our enemies. It almost demands that we view them that way. And I'd like to spend a few minutes this morning trying to answer the question, how can I love my enemy? In Micah 6, chapter 6, verse 8, we read, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Sometimes this is also translated as to act justly and to love kindness. The sixth chapter of Micah is titled, The Lord's Case Against Israel. And verses 1 and 2 read, Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. Micah is describing a courtroom scene here where it becomes apparent that even though people had tried many different ways to please God, that he could, had continually missed the mark. In verse 8, God's wishes for us are made clear to act justly, to walk humbly, and to love kindness. Now let's think back for a second to that scenario on the highway. Do we ever stop to think that maybe that slow driver is, is a new driver? I've got a new driver in my household, and I would appreciate it if, uh, if he would maybe be a little bit overly cautious. Um, or do we ever give the benefit of the doubt to the person that flies by us on the highway that maybe they're on their way to the hospital? Maybe somebody in their life is experiencing a health emergency. I can tell you that I don't. You know, I'll confess that, that more often than I'd care to admit, I ascribe ill intentions, arrogance, or thoughtlessness to people who behave differently than I think they should. And that's about, about little stuff. Friends, there are, there are, the reality is there are big things going on in the world today. And regardless of whether you're red or you're blue or you're purple, my guess is you've got, you've got some strong feelings about issues that have gone on or are going on currently in our politics or in our courts. My guess is you can't possibly fathom how somebody else could hold a different opinion from you on a specific issue. And if they do, they must be a bad person. 
They'd have to be, wouldn't they? Friends, if you're like me, it's easy for you to view people who disagree with you as your enemy, to dismiss them as careless or thoughtless or just bad people. But how do I reconcile that? How do I reconcile those feelings with what I know Jesus expects of me? How do I remind myself that God expects me to walk humbly and to love kindness? Does anybody recognize this building? Not a trick question, it's written right there on the front. (laughs) This is Wrigley Field. This is home of my beloved Chicago Cubs. And over the last hundred years, the Cubs have been like the global uh, spokespersons, the global global poster, poster children for the phrase lovable loser. So much so that Wrigley Field has a nickname. Does anybody know what they call Wrigley Field? Thank you. The friendly confines. So lots of sports stadiums or arenas are known for their overwhelming crowd noise or their unruly fans or the, just the incredible home field advantage that they offer the home team. Not Wrigley Field. Now, Wrigley Field is known as a nice place where people can go and congregate and cheer on the Cubbies but no hope, have no hope of success or of even winning. It's been this way for decades with one really notable exception. On October 14, 2003, the Cubs were on the verge of earning their first trip to the World Series in 68 years and potentially winning it for the first time in 95 years. There was a close game. There was a lot on the line. The opposing team hit a, a fly ball down the, in the foul territory down the left field line. Cubs outfielder approached the fence, kind of jumped over the wall, reaching into the stands in an attempt to make the catch. Along with all the other sort of fans and spectators in the area, a lifelong Cub fan named Steve Bartman reached out to to catch the ball. He deflected it and disrupted the outfielder from being able to make the catch. If the outfielder had caught the ball, the Cubs would have only been four outs away from making it to the World Series. Instead, the opposing team won the game and they would go on to win the series. In the moments and hours following that play, angry Cub fans shouted insults and threw debris at Steve Bartman. Eventually, for his own safety, security was forced to remove him from the ballpark. Minutes after the game ended, his name, his address, and his personal information was published online. There was, this required police protection at his home. His harassment from from fans and from the media only grew worse after the Cubs lost the series as he was was made the scapegoat for the team's then 95-year championship drought. Now, despite the fact that Steve Bartman was a neighbor, this is a lifelong, devoted fellow Cubs fan, despite the fact that immediately he issued an obviously sincere and heartfelt apology, despite the fact that virtually all of the Cubs players publicly came to his defense. And despite the fact that like 100% of baseball fans would have behaved exactly the way that he did in the seconds that that ball was traveling towards him, Steve Bartman became an enemy to Cub fans. His harassment lasted for years. Now here was a person who had every reason to view the Cubs organization and Cubs fans as his enemy. He would have been completely justified in viewing the people who harassed him as terrible people. 
Now, in 2016, the Cubs finally returned to the World Series, and they won. There were calls by many people to, to include Steve Bartman in the championship parade, or to have him throw out a first pitch, or to otherwise publicly honor, acknowledge, and apologize to him. He quietly declined all these requests. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Cubs organization presented Bartman with an official, actual 2016 World Championship ring, just like the players got. He broke his, year long, his years-long silence in a written statement which read in part, I am relieved and hopeful that the saga of the 2003 foul ball incident surrounding my family and me is finally over. I humbly receive the ring not only as a symbol of one of the most historic achievements in sports, but as an important reminder for how we should treat each other in today's society. Now you may be thinking to yourself, did he tell that whole story just so that he could bring up the fact that the Cubs won the World Series in 2016? No comment on that. However, I do think that the Bartman incident can help us frame how we respond to our neighbors when we perceive them as our enemies. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, we read, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. If we do not do what is right, sin is crouching at our door. It de desires to have us. Now, I think at this point I want to be very clear. I don't expect any of you in this room to kill one of your siblings the way that Cain is going to go on to do in this story. But at least for me, I find this imagery so familiar. When I think about how I can view somebody else with contempt, how I can ascribe bad motivations to somebody or dismiss somebody as a bad person because they disagree with me, when I get irrationally furious because the car in front of me is driving a few miles per hour slower than I would prefer, I can just picture sin crouching at my door. I think it probably looks at me the way that, that my son Grant would look at a perfectly cooked ribeye sitting on a plate in front of him. I got you right where I want you, pal. <laughs> Have you ever found that it's really easy to be like Jesus right up until you actually have to be like Jesus? I stole that line from a book. It's called Why Are You Afraid by Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker. We recently read that in my small group. As a side note, I would encourage all of you to sign up to be part of a small group next time, uh, next time that comes available. If for no other reason, then you might be able to drop like a topical quote or reference a book that you're reading. People might think that you're smarter or more well-read than you actually are. Sometimes it works for me. <laughs> Friends, our vision here at the First United Methodist Church of Kearney is to be a community of unlikely friends following Jesus together. You could say that our vision for our church is to follow Jesus by accepting those who are different from us, by loving kindness. I think President Abraham Lincoln may have said it best during his first inaugural address when he said, we are not enemies, but friends. 
we must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory will yet swell when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. Now, I don't know about you, I look around the world from time to time and I think, you know, things aren't going great. But i got to believe they're going better than they were going during the Civil War. And while I'm on the topic of unlikely friends and the Civil War, I want to tell you about this. This is a monument that was erected by some historians in South Carolina about 25 years ago. This is an African-American group of historians, and they erected this monument honoring soldiers that fought in the Civil War. Soldiers that fought on both sides of the Civil War, the Union and the Confederacy. And I love this headline, A Monument to Forgiveness. Surely if that group of people can show that level of grace about something that consequential, I can show kindness to my neighbor with whom I disagree. You know, this past summer, my sister hosted a birthday party for my two youngest nieces at at our house, at our swimming pool. It was an absolutely beautiful day. The weather was perfect. The pool was full of children who are laughing and splashing and swimming and having a good time. My wife Sarah and I went into the house for just a minute and we returned outside. There was a commotion in the pool. One of the adult guests was in the water, fully clothed, and she was screaming. She was screaming the type of scream that let you know something was really, really wrong. It turns out that her four-year-old son had taken off his life jacket and had gotten back into the water without anybody knowing. He was only in the water for a matter of seconds, but when they pulled him out, he was blue, and he didn't have a pulse. Thankfully, there were several people there who had CPR certifications who could help. Now, I want to be clear, the boy is fine. Uh, He was actually able to play in a t-ball game the next day. He's got no long-lasting ill effects, but friends, when I was standing over this woman who I didn't know, who was performing CPR on this beautiful little boy, literally saving his life, I could promise you, I could not possibly have cared less what her, who she voted for in the last election, what her opinion is on tax policy or immigration policy, or frankly what her opinion is on anything else. I was then and I remain today so very thankful that she was there and that she was willing and able to help. So how do we do this? How do we be unlikely friends? How do we love our enemies? In his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, Stephen Covey says that we should seek to understand before we seek to be understood. As difficult as it can be to accept, faithful, intelligent, well-meaning people can be on opposing sides of even the most controversial debates. If we seek first to understand one another, we may find that we have more in common than we don't. If we view those who disagree with us as our neighbors in Christ and invite them into our lives, we will find that the issues that separate us are no match for the Christian community that binds us together. Now, I'm going to ask for this po- at this point for just a little bit of participation. I don't expect it to be too tough. But would any of you please stand up if, if in your life you have never been wrong about anything? Please just go ahead and stand right on up. Don't be shy. All right, I don't see anybody standing. Uh, and just I want to be really clear, I shouldn't be standing either. I don't want to sit on the floor. 
Friends, if we know that we're not always right, can we open ourselves up to the idea that people that disagree with us aren't always wrong? I don't know about you, I would describe having such an open mind as walking humbly. Now, I'm going to get super practical right, right here for just a minute. I created this flow chart to just kind of crystallize and illustrate what we've been talking about. This is just a simple illustration of how we can behave in certain situations, in different situations. Now, I did create this. This is my own intellectual property. Um, if you're so impressed by this sort of kindergarten-level mastery of basic shapes and arrows, feel free to take a picture of it. You can share it with your friends. You can tell them you created it. Really, use it as you see fit. I can't tell you, friends, that life won't be messy. I can't tell you that the issues, issues that divide us aren't real or that they're unimportant. What I can tell you is what Jesus wants us to do about it. I guess the question that I'm asking you this morning really boils down to this. Would you rather be Steve Bartman or would you rather be a Cubs fan? Because friends, I am here to tell you, if you can at all avoid it, you do not want to be a Cubs fan. Friends, nobody ever said being like Jesus would be easy. But if we want to help heal the divisions in our communities, we have to view one another as neighbors and not as enemies. If we truly want to be a community of unlikely friends, if we really are a group of imperfect people following the only per perfect person who has ever lived, we must care about people more than we care about their opinions. We must appeal to the better angels of our nature. Jesus calls us to love everyone, not just those who, people who we agree with about whether or not athletes should stand for the national anthem or abortion or immigration or the climate or any other controversial topic you could name. Friends, what better day than January 1st to hear the words and to commit ourselves to the truth found in Micah 6.8, to walk humbly, to act justly, and to love kindness. Amen? Amen? Friends, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the year that just passed, and we thank you for the year that is ahead of us. Lord, we ask that you be with us, Lord, in big moments and in small uh, in, in, in times of patience and when our patience is wearing thin. Lord, we ask that you help us to remember the words that we heard today, to act justly, to walk humbly, and to love kindness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.